Hello and welcome to the Empowered Hormone Podcast, where we pull apart all those taboo topics, periods, parasites, poos, hormones and more. Let's question everything you've been taught about your body. I'm your host, Sheridan Decker, a gin-loving gut health nerd passionate about debunking myths on birth control, period pain and IBS. If you struggle with bloating or your period is less than pretty, then join me as we chat about everything relating to gut and hormone health. Welcome to another episode of the Empowered Hormones podcast. Today, I have the privilege of speaking to Lisa Hendrickson-Jack. So Lisa is a certified fertility awareness educator, holistic reproductive health practitioner and author of the fifth vital sign, Master Your Cycles and Optimize Your Fertility, one of my favorite books, I must add, (laughs) and also one of my favorite podcast hosts, The Fertility Friday. Podcast. So Lisa helps health conscious women discover the connection between their menstrual cycles and their overall health so that they can ditch hormonal birth control forever. So it's a huge honor and pleasure. Thank you for being here, Lisa. Oh, well, thank you for having me. So for those, which there won't be many of them, I'm sure, but for those who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to produce the Fertility Friday podcast and create an amazing book? Sure. Um, well, so I I started on the on the pill when I was like a teenager because my first periods were super heavy and painful. And I was pretty active in sports. And what is interesting about that experience is that I didn't have the words to describe what was going on, but, you know, I was like 16, 15, 16, I can't remember exactly. And so, so when I took this magical pill and then my, you know, pill periods were lighter and more manageable, I, uh, and I, I didn't have to take pain medication when I had my quote periods, I would, I kind of thought it was fixed. So every now and then I would, cause I wasn't using it for birth control. So every now and then I would come off of it <laughs> and lo and behold, my actual periods would come back and they were super <laughs> ridiculous. So I didn't have the words to describe what was going on, but I did know that it wasn't the same. And I knew that it didn't fix me. I, I don't know that many women have that experience. Cause I feel like these days, a lot of women really think that this is my period. And like, um, but I kind of just like, because of my experience, because they were so different, I, I didn't think they were the same. So um, how I discovered fertility awareness was that when I did become sexually active, I decided I didn't trust the pill. So I kind of am the opposite of a lot of people. And it's because I wasn't taking it for birth control. So I didn't take it at the right time. I had read most of the inserts. So I knew (laughs) that it's like when you miss one, you had to take two and there was like a whole thing. And I just didn't want to be. And then the other thing was sometimes I would take the pill like back to back, like I would skip a, you know, withdrawal bleed. And I just had this fear that I would get pregnant and not know it. So call me crazy, but that was my biggest fear that I would get pregnant, that I wouldn't know it because I would have skipped a pill or whatever. And I would have constantly been afraid. And so I would have always used a condom anyways. And so because I grew up in the nineties and we were taught that condoms actually work, (laughs) it's a little different these days. uh, I actually was like, well, I'm just going to come off the pill because I want to see how messed up my cycles are. And like, if I can figure this out, it took me a long time to figure it out years. But that was my kind of motivation. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to use condoms. And then that's when I discovered fertility awareness. 
So to make a long story short, I mean, it was amazing. Obviously, it was life-changing to discover that I wasn't fertile every day. And a lot of those fears that I had around pregnancy were because I was taught that you could get pregnant on every single day of the cycle, that it was imminent, basically going to happen. And so this information changed everything for me. And it actually helped me to be a lot more comfortable with my decision using condoms because then I was able to navigate my cycle and really know when would be the time that I could get, get pregnant. So, um, I successfully used fertility awareness throughout my twenties and I, there was a group on campus that taught fertility awareness and I joined them and a, a group of us took a class together, uh, training to, to learn to teach when I was in, um, my early twenties. And so, yeah, so that was kind of the background, but it was always at the grassroots level. Like it was never something that I really thought I could truly like get enough clients to see a career, like to have a career out of it. Um, so then when I had my first son, when I was 30, I decided to put it out there (laughs) in a, in a public way. I mean, I had just been breastfeeding for a year, listening to all these podcasts and I was like, Oh, I could do podcasts. (laughs) Um, let's see if this, you know, I know it changed my life. Let's see if anyone else uh, wants to learn about it. And so it turns out that they do. And uh, the book basically came from that sentiment that I think most women experience when they learn this information, which is, you know, why didn't we learn this? Everyone should know this. And so my book was an attempt to be able to say, okay, here. Uh, yes, <laughs> I, I love that because I, when I first came across your podcast, even now, like hearing your voice, I have memories of I would get up at like five thirty six every morning and walk, and my thing was I would listen to one of your podcasts like every day, religiously kind of thing. And when I started learning about fertility awareness, and I was like, this is mind blowing! Like I download the Kindara app, and I bought Temp Drop, and I did all the things because I was like, this is just. Like it is when it comes out into the public and I guess as you kind of learned about it and you sort of came, you know, you needed another approach in a sense. But now like when women listen to it and they just go, why are we not taught this? This is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've had women in their 40s, like learning it for the first time, women who've had multiple kids that are just like, I didn't know this stuff. And it's it's pretty ridiculous because I can remember junior high and high school pretty vividly. I mean, there was a lot of details about our ear and our eyes and stuff. And I'm not saying that wasn't important, <laughs> but I mean, the reproductive process is how we bring new humans into the world. So I feel like it's kind of important and maybe we should learn about it. You know, it's a little bit more practical than the ear. Just saying. Yes, yes, yes. 100%. And you're right. It's not in sex ed now that I think about it. Yeah, I never learned that even in, I did human biology because my background's sports science and stuff. I didn't learn about, you know, any of that. Well, medical doctors don't necessarily learn about this in that way so obviously they learn the anatomy and how everything works for a 28 day cycle but in terms of actually like I've had doctors read chapter three of the book which is where I go into like a cervical mucus deep dive and I've had medical professionals say wow you know I didn't learn this and it's true because that level of detail about cervical fluid and how it works you get more of a general um kind of impression of that if you went to like it's you know test me out prove me wrong if you're a medical professional you're listening but uh, it's really interesting and unfortunate and it just shows I think even if you think about what medicine means for women of reproductive Mm -hmm. age it typically means painkillers and hormonal suppressant drugs so we're not really looking at how it works as much as we're just looking to control symptoms for the most part. Yeah, for sure. So how long ago did you release your book? How old's your book? So I released it in 
if I'm remembering correctly, 2019, yeah. I think. So it's three years old. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, it's actually, I'm, I, in my head, it's been around forever. It's the Bible, you know what I mean? But <laughs> it's actually newish in, in, you know, regards to books. Well, I'm very fortunate. It certainly has made a splash. And I think, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I feel like fertility awareness is, is about to have its moment. Because what's yeah. interesting is that, I mean, since I first discovered it 20 plus years ago, mm. I mean, at that time, people had to go to the library and like, like it was, there was no internet, like, like yes. there's now. Yes. Uh, I mean, there was an internet, but it's just like, there was no smartphones. Like when I started charting, there was a, you know, I had my computer and a printer and I printed off. <laughs> yeah 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 the chart on like it was not like it is now so it's interesting because in many ways it's so much more accessible there's so much more information so many more women know about it now there's all these podcasts about it when I started my podcast there was one yes of course (laughs) there was one um yeah there was like there there wasn't a thing um but now there's a lot so I feel like uh we've made a lot of progress but we're still pretty fringe and the average woman obviously has no idea to this day but it's getting better yeah, it's interesting because I think about that in, you know, in the area I specialize in like IBS and why, you know, IBS is the best diagnosis and there's underlying causes and there's all that stuff. And I feel like that's made it splashed with gut health as well. And I'm like, so many people know about this stuff now and that there's parasites and bacteria and yeast overgrowth. But to the general female, I'm still preaching something new like they're still like what I had no idea and fertility awareness the same like in my space I think surely women know about this by now like why are we taking the birth control pill you know and we don't understand you know uh, tracking our cycles but it's actually the majority still don't in a sense it's fascinating everyone knows about IBS at least even if they don't know as much detail but (laughs) yeah the average person doesn't and in terms of the birth control pill I mean I, I forget what the number is like a hundred million women worldwide up to 80% of women have used it in their lifetime, including myself. Yeah. So like it, it kind of is what it is. And it, it, I, I personally believe that there's uh, certainly a pharmaceutical driven thing happening here, especially yeah. when I think of the difference between myself. And again, when, I mean, I went to school in the eighties and nineties when everyone was like it was AIDS that was the conversation (laughs) but all the AIDS 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 and so we were taught in school like if you have sex you're gonna get pregnant obviously but you're also gonna get AIDS and die so condoms were the thing that we were talked about all the time because you needed to wear condoms so you wouldn't get AIDS and die like this was the whole thing and so but we were also taught that it was an effective method I remember being taught that it was up to 98% effective, which is true when it's used correctly. But the average woman today that I've spoken to who's in her 20s and early 30s, because now I'm old, um, don't but like uh, they're like what I they, what I've gathered, and I'm sure it's not the same for everybody. But it seems like the education now is that if you're not on a contraceptive, you will get pregnant. So yeah. basically downplaying the effectiveness of condoms, even saying like, well, it's just a matter of time. And like just assuming that a person is incapable of putting it on, basically giving men a free pass to just not be responsible at all. And (laughs) this is my opinion. Yeah. A little rant here. But like, honestly, that's that's the impression that I get. So I, I the impression that I get the average woman today really does feel like there are no options. And she really feels like if she's not on a contraceptive method or doesn't have an IUD inserted that she's going to get pregnant. And I feel like that's pharmaceutical driven. 
Yeah, yeah, I think you're 100% right. And it's interesting that you say that because I feel like I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot from women saying, oh, I have to be on something or I'm the level of terror. Yeah. Like, so, cause what, for me, I made this decision when, when I was really young, obviously young, most women that I talk to who kind of look back, say, well, I wouldn't have been able to be that responsible when I was in my early twenties and et cetera. I think that's a personality thing, but like, I didn't have this intense fear of getting pregnant. I actually did believe that condoms would work and and they did. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Um, And I didn't believe that I was incapable of using it. And then the other thing I could go on this tangent for such a long time, but because I was, I had a healthy fear of STIs, I wasn't actually going to have unprotected sex with somebody unless they were like a, a partner, like does, yeah. and also unless I had basically sent them to the like whatever clinic to get tested. So mm-hmm. I used to send like when I would get serious with a boyfriend, like go get, like have your penis swabbed. Yes. Like, and there was no unprotected sex unless he had his penis swabbed and came back clear. And I wonder if the average woman today is sending their partners to the doctor. Like if they were where, what happened to the agency? Like this wasn't feminism supposed to empower us. You should have the confidence and courage to send your partner get swabbed before like this whole pill thing with everyone on the pill. One of my issues with it beyond like the, the side effects we could talk about if you want is that it seems to just give license for unprotected sex without any concern about st what happened to the sti conversation yes Yes. amen (laughs) amen i think you're so onto something there that's amazing because you're right i never ever hear it and i'm I'm like you i see so many women and i never hear them say i'm worried about stis it's all i'm worried about all pregnancy yeah and meanwhile stis are running rampant yeah no one's talking about that yeah crazy why like i wonder why has there been such a shift over the years there's a lot of money like there's a it's like a 30 billion dollar like yeah, it's like a okay. huge this isn't a small kind of thing like yeah <laughs> the control bill is not like a small fringe like barely any money kind of situation yeah. if you can have young women imagine if you had mm. like you personally like let's say you personally owned yeah. the patent for some mm. sort of hormonal con- like you personally and if you could create a marketing campaign where virtually every woman over the age of 12 could use your product <laughs> until she's in menopause. How much money could you like? No, but like, like do the math. Like, yeah. like, look it up. Like, this is a legitimate yeah. thing here. Like, yeah. you're I read, um, like- I was working on a chapter billions. Like, this is not a hard, like, it's kind of like, what plus what is two? Like, this is not difficult to understand. I was reading this, um, the the financial statements for Bayer, because I was working on a chapter of a book. Um, So that I don't know when that that's like a, a different book that I was working on, I had to pause. But anyways, I was reading the financial statements of Bayer. And I was reading them because I was looking up the kind of controversy, I think it was either the Marina or Esher, because I don't have my notes in front of me. I don't remember if Bayer made Esher. Mm-hmm. But either way, I was looking at this controversy because they've put out some medications that have caused a lot of side effects and problems. And there's class action suits against these companies. And if you read their financial statements, you can learn how much money that they have to pay out for these um, situations. The irony was that there was this one year that I was looking at and they had to pay out something like $400 million 
And you would think that $400 million, like if I had $400 million, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like a lot of money, right? But for these companies, they were still boasting a one to $2 billion profit each year, even after those expenses were paid. So this is not complicated why it's pushed. Yeah, It's just not complicated. Yeah, because you're looking at, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of someone's life in a sense of taking a pill and then that's every month or whatever that you're buying it and reinserting and there's how many women in the world, you know, like. And I just want to say one more time, the one to two billion was not revenue. Yeah, okay. It was profit. Yeah. yeah. After expenses, okay? Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. insane. It's a, All right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a publicly available. Anyone can do it. So if anyone's like a super nerd, you can look it up too. Yeah. See how much Bayer made this year. So even even aside from the profits and the unethical side of things, plus the, you know, <laughs> sexually transmitted diseases and all that <laughs> stuff then as well. So many tangents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why, you know, like what are some of the other side effects of the pill, like just in the pill itself that, you know, you really flag, you know, when you're working with women or in your book and stuff? Well, so what's interesting is that when I, like I mentioned, took the pill, I did read the insert, obviously didn't understand most of what I read, I don't think, but I did actually read it. And I remember reading that you could get like blood clots and stroke and stuff like that. So I actually remember being a teenager back in the nineties and actually thinking that that was kind of it. So I actually remember thinking that the side effects of the pill were like blood clots and stroke and possibly death. But obviously that didn't apply to me, like obviously, right? Because that's right. Like, that's, I'm just being, this is how it, like, I'm not alone in this. <laughs> like, I feel like every 16 year old girl is kind of saying, well, I'm not going to get a stroke and die, obviously. So like, you know what I mean? So it's safe because that's yeah. so rare. Yeah. So um, what I learned though, through my work and my, you know, education and training uh, and just working with tons of clients is that the most common side effects are depression and low libido and kind of sexual related issues. So um, depression and you could say mood changes. I think that's what they see on their inserts. Mood changes includes things like anxiety, paranoia, having intrusive thoughts, kind of that irrational kind of stuff that's stereotypically female. So that even Mm. makes it worse because you might just think you're nuts. But like if you if you were to go into forums and read how people experience these things, it's kind of like your boyfriend goes out to get like milk or something and you're like, he's going to die and someone's going to kill him. So those kinds of and it sounds funny, but this is literally how women experience some like when they have the anxiety, panic attacks, paranoia, um, those kinds of things. And obviously everybody does not experience that, but many do. And the challenge is that if you're not told that these are the most common side effects, then what happens is in a lot of cases, you can go to your doctor. Uh, So there's, when they do these studies, there's a study that I cited in the fifth vital sign where 16 year old, like I shouldn't say 16 year old girls, but it was teenage girls where, who were on the pill were also much more likely to be on antidepressants. And again, this, this means that if you're, especially even if you're a mother or if you're teenager or whatever, or you have a niece or something, then you should know that this is a possible side effect. So that if you do have a daughter or a niece, or it's yourself who start to feel depressed and it happens to be somehow around the time that you're still on the birth control pill, that may be before you jump onto another medication that we could just have that conversation and see if it would work to either switch to a different one Mm -hmm. or 
come off of it for a period of time <clears throat> to see if the symptoms improve and resolve. Uh, interesting, this basic stuff is not what's done. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of the sexual side effects, I mean, there is a running joke that the reason that the pill is so effective is because it makes you not want to have sex anymore. Um, obviously, that's not the case for everybody. But I just have a thought, you know, I went on the pill when I was like 15 or 16. And I was on it for a couple of years. I wasn't sexually active. Um, mm. But imagine because I've spoken to many women who've been put on the pill at 12, 13, like the moment their cycle is not 28 days, it's like, okay, let's put you on it to regulate the cycle. And so if you were, let's say 13 or 14, and you were put on the pill, do you even know what your sexuality is like? So you would you even know if you had mm. low libido or would yeah. you just kind of think and wonder if you yourself are just not that sexual of a person? Cause I've heard people say that. I just thought I wasn't that sexual of a person. And when I came off the pill, all of a sudden I realized I had a libido and it's like, okay. <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, a hundred percent. So I got put on the pill when I was 17 for my acne. Yeah. It was, was early on and I wasn't sexually active. It's not why I went on at all. It was purely just because my skin and hormones and periods and all that stuff, you know, you've done the antibiotics and you've done everything else and you're like, we'll give the pill a shot. But yeah, speaking of the low libido side of things, I mean, I'd didn't know and I wouldn't know you know in those sort of early days those couple months and the side effects are awful I put on lots of weight I craved sugar I was so moody I was all over the place I think I only lasted three or four months I'm like I'm coming off this this is awful but the low libido is a massive one I hear all the time from women they're like I just I have no drive I'm just uh, and I'm tired and I'm moody and I don't want to be around you know my partner and stuff it's it's crazy Mm -hmm. Well, one of the, you know, in, in addition to that negative effect. So I think one of the scariest um, citations uh, around this conversation is uh, there's a, it's a, it's a smaller study, obviously, like it, it wasn't, I think there was 40 participants. So I've certainly had people say like, well, that sample size is too small and na, na, na. And I think, <laughs> well, yeah, you're, it's, you're valid. Sure. But there was a study where they measured the, um, the size of the clitoris. So yeah. the, the study title was like clitoral vascularization with regarding the pill or something. And so basically they measured before and then after three months of use, if I remember correctly, and all of the participants had a, a reduction in the size, like the volume, meaning the, the, no the clitoris way. shrunk. Um, and then the average shrinkage was 20%. So if you want like an inflammatory social media post, yeah. then you kind of word it like, you know, would men be okay with a 20% decrease in their penis size? And so, but you had like, I, I was totally trolled. Like it was really, really interesting experience. But I was really trolled like that. There, I had this one time where that post went viral, like three years ago and viral was like 50,000 like views yeah. or whatever at the time which is not, Facebook doesn't give me any love. So, so it was pretty, but it, 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 what it meant is that it went to all these people that had no idea who I was and were not followers. Cause my followers are nice. I don't usually get yes, mean yes. comments. Anyway. So I had this like doctor, this medical doctor troll me. Oh, the sample size is too small. And no, 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 no. But what I always say is, okay, sure. That's a valid point. You know, 40 participants, we can't make a broad generalization, but if all, <laughs> all of the participants had a reduction. Where's the follow-up study? Where, like, If there's 100 million women on the pill, where's the study of the 2,000? Where's the study of yeah. the 5,000? And it yeah. doesn't exist. So you got to say, well, why? Because that's a pretty significant finding, right? Where's the yeah. follow-up study? 
Yeah, 100%. And that's, that's, <laughs> that's still 40 women. Like, that's still 40 women yeah. who've had that reduction. To me, that's still 40 too yeah. many, isn't it? Like, <laughs> Yes. Well, and I, I bring that up, again, to relate to our conversation about libido. So some of the other sexual side effects that are reported commonly in, in studies would be potentially some women experience a reduction in sensation, potentially have a more difficult time experiencing orgasm, and some women experience painful sex. So one of the reasons for this potential shrinkage is that when you're on the pill, your levels of free testosterone significantly decline. And so one of the things that I think is important just to kind of put out there when we talk about pill side effects is obviously we know that every woman who takes a pill does not have the same side effects. Some women report that there's no issue with their libido. Some women just report that they were totally fine. And, but one thing that I think is important to know is that there are certain effects that happen to everybody. So if you were to do a blood draw while you're on the pill, you're going to have lower free testosterone, like up to 50, 60% lower. Um, I think a, a reduction of like, so that you are at like 50 to 60% yeah. of what would be normal. Let me just make sure I phrase that cor- yeah. correctly. But the point is that those effects are there. And so if, if every single woman has a reduction in her free testosterone, of course, everyone won't have the same bodily expression of that. But one of the ways that that shows up is because our sexual tissues, even though we have, uh, we produce a very small amount of testosterone compared to men, our sexual tissues, our reproductive tissues are really sensitive to it. So it can actually thin out and then obviously reduce the size of some of these organs. And so some women experience painful sex, um, vulvodynia, which is pain upon insertion. And that, you know, can be a result of those things. And again, one of the hard things about it is that I've spoken to many women who have experienced it to the point that they're going to doctors and contemplating surgery because it's so disruptive to their lives. And many of these doctors would never make that connection. So I've spoken to a number of women who go doctor to doctor to doctor, and then it's finally some random online article that talks about this issue and potentially suggests like a testosterone cream to to literally put on the, the tissues um, I had, a, a, I interviewed a woman who did that strategy and that was the only thing that caused her to have yeah. some relief from this pain. So wow. it's not always that severe, but okay. again, I think informed consent requires us to just know those things so that you could take it. Cause plenty of women are still going to take the pill. Like I said, yeah. I took it. So I can't ever yeah. say anything about it. I took it for a reason. Everyone who takes it, takes it for a reason. Yeah. Right. But if you knew about the side effect profile, then if you did experience something like that, you could just, Okay. I know about it. Let me try a different one or let me come off of it. It gives us choices. Yeah. Yeah. So for those women listening now who are like, shivers, I probably need to get off the pill because there's a few too many side effects. How, how, and can we use fertility awareness for birth control? What is, what is our other option for if we don't want to be on the pill besides the condom? Mm-hmm. As well as well, the so- <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I think it's, it is really helpful just as an exercise to, to kind of familiarize yourself with all of the birth control options. So we mostly know about the hormonal ones, right? Like the IUD and the, um, yeah. the shot, which I, I personally think the shot is, has the most, has the worst side effect profile of all of them. Okay. <clears throat> you can research that on your own. Yeah. But so that's just my own thing. So it's helpful to know about all of those and then to know about the non-hormonal options because we're not really taught about those anymore. So obviously condoms and the diaphragm, which can be harder to get, but it is helpful to know that it is a thing um, and can also be used in conjunction with other 
methods. And um, so in terms of the fertility awareness method, I mean, it is one of the only options with no side effects. I guess I should also mention the copper IUD, which is its yeah. own conversation because it the copper IUD can have certain side effects, but if it works for you, then that can be a really good non-hormonal option. But there, it, I would suggest just to look up some of those side effects to be aware. Um, <clears throat> but with fertility awareness, it's one of the only, if not the only, um, non-hormonal method with no side effects at all, you know, cause it's not hormonal and you're not altering your own body. So I think the main difference with, uh, fertility awareness is that you are, your body's still doing what it's doing, which means there are, there is a point of time where conception can happen in every cycle, but you're learning to identify your fertile days and then you're making choices to do alternate activities on those days. So some people would not have sex at all. Some people might have alternative sexual activity that doesn't involve, um, penetration, um, and then others may use condoms or a combination of condoms and a diaphragm or something mm. like that. Mm. And so at the very basic level, <laughs> as we've talked about, you're not fertile every day. So it's actually men that make sperm every single day from puberty onward. And so men are the ones that are, you know, potentially impregnating someone every day of their lives. Whereas as women, we have a short window of fertility. So from a scientific perspective, it's six days because sperm can survive in your cervical fluid as you protrabulation for up to five days. So a lot of women have heard that sperm can survive for up to five days in your body, but it's not all the time. It's only when you actually have this cervical fluid that sperm can survive in. And so once you ovulate, if the egg is not fertilized, it does disintegrate within 12 to 24 hours. So there's literally this kind of six day window that a lot of women discover when they are trying to get pregnant because they've been told that they can conceive every day. And after several months of trying, you know, in some cases <laughs> they kind of like, oh, wait, it's not working. What do I, what don't, what don't I know? And so a lot of women discover it that way. Um, and so what's the reason that it works as a birth control method. So what it means in the literal sense is that there are certain days of your cycle where you can actually have unprotected sex, where your male partner ejaculates inside of your body and it, you can't get pregnant. And I, I'm not explicit because we are taught that it's impossible. So you have to like, say it like that because I've had women in my class that are like, when you say I'm protected, like, do you mean withdrawal? Yeah. <laughs> because they just don't like, cause they, it's like completely over the head. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> So obviously you don't jump into that aspect of it right away. Uh, if you're learning the method, you need to take um, a minimum of one to two cycles with an instructor if you're working with someone who's teaching you so that you can really chart and understand mm -hmm. how to confirm ovulation and how to know when you're fertile and when you're not. And if you're learning on your own, you need about three to six cycles, depending on your situation, before you start having unprotected sex. Um, but at the basic level, the reason that fertility awareness works is because there are literally periods of time when your vagina is acidic, your cervix is closed, the cervix is opening to the uterus. Um, you can identify these times. So literally when the sperm cannot enter into your uterus, there's no pregnancy that's even possible. Um, and there's other times of the cycle when the cervix is open, your cervical fluid is, is flowing. Like I said, it keeps sperm alive for up to, you know, five days. And that's around ovulation. And what's really interesting about it is that it's like basic science. Like you learn how to do this. Um, many women who are potentially not on contraceptives, or if you think back to before you were, many women can kind of remember that there might be just a time in the cycle when they were kind of wet. So when I think back to my um, teenage days before I was on uh, the pill, I do remember that there was a point in time where all of a sudden I started to feel wet sometimes. 
And I, to the point that I went to my mom and I was like, what's up? And my mom basically <laughs> bought me panty liners and she's like, yeah. So, but cause she didn't really know what it was either, but she yeah. obviously experienced the phenomena. She didn't, my mom took the pill, I think for just like a month. I think it really didn't agree with her. <clears throat> and so, yeah. So anyways, but if you think back to those times, there's a point in the cycle where you can feel the sweatness or see it. Or if, you know, if you're wiping, you go to the bathroom and it's really slippery and there's times when it's not. And so fertility awareness allows you to hone in on that in a, a lot more specific way so that you can avoid pregnancy without hormones, essentially by identifying those times of the cycle. Yeah. I'd, amazing. I yeah, I love that because I remember starting, I remember using Kindara and I remember tracking and going like, wow, there are, there are those changes. And like you said, when you have no idea and you just kind of go, oh, it's slippery or it's not, or it'll, you know, whatever. But once you start tracking it, it's so interesting because you're like, wow, my body is literally going through this cycle. And I remember you always talking about our body being that fifth vital sign, which is obviously the name of your book as well. But then once you start to hone in on that, you see when it changes or, you know, your phases are longer or shorter, or, you know, you start to, I don't know, I feel like you get such more of a holistic view you of your whole body and what's going on with everything well and it's so eye-opening because essentially your body has been doing this under your nose like if you're again if you're not <clears throat> on if you're actually cycling and you're not on contraceptives but your body's been doing this and so I think it, it feels like kind of a betrayal when you learn about it because you're like this has been happening this whole time and I just didn't know what it meant like my body's always been showing me these signs but I had no idea how to interpret it so it's, it's, it's really interesting. I think it's important to point out, you know, fertility awareness charting isn't necessarily for everybody and isn't necessarily for everybody mm. at every point in their reproductive lives. As I mentioned, there's plenty of women who I speak to who say, oh, well, I wouldn't have been able to do it when I was in my twenties or I was too busy in school or whatever. But what I think is interesting about this knowledge. So if I ran the world, all I would want, I wouldn't outlaw the pill. <laughs> so we need to have choices. <clears throat> Everyone isn't the same, right? So I think that we do need to have choices, but um, I mean, if I ran the world, I would kind of put money towards a better alternative um, right off the bat. But but either way, uh, I would say we need to know about the side effect profile of all of these medications in full so that we're making these informed decisions, not to dissuade necessarily from taking it, although that can happen, but more so to arm us with, okay, so if you have this side effect or whatever, you know that it's related, because this is the thing. Midnight yeah. Googling is how most women find out that the pill is related to depression and anxiety. It's not because they actually knew or because anybody told them that that was a side effect of it before they use it. Um, and then in terms of informed consent, actually teaching fertility awareness as we're not even teaching it, but just letting people know that it is a valid option. So, yeah. uh, if we look at the science, when the methods are used correctly, so the most common, I, I believe being the symptothermal, which is a combination of taking your temperature to confirm ovulation, as well as tracking cervical fluid and potentially the cervical position as well. So that's the symptothermal method. And so when used correctly up to 90, 9.4% effective. Great. And that does put it on par with the pill. The typical use ranges because a lot of women, they, when they do these studies, they include a person who downloads an app and doesn't know how to chart. And so yeah. if they get pregnant, it's like, oh, that's a failure. But when you use it correctly, it does have quite a high uh, efficacy rate, similar to other methods. And so again, <clears throat> if women don't even know that there's an alternative to hormones, then it really, um, one of the things I say that I think is really important is that, you know, there are some women who use the pill and are fine. There is a certain percentage of women who literally like can't, can't use it. Don't do well at it like yourself. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain percentage of women who try, they try this one, that one, the other one, 
and they just have these terrible effects. So that is something we can't deny. Everybody doesn't have that experience, mm. but there is a percentage of women who literally like they, I've had them in my classes. They just like, they, sometimes they get to their wits end, you know, cause it's like, I tried everything. I, there's nothing working for me. I have depression on this one, anxiety on this one. I got yeast infections on that one. Like, yeah. like it's just it, like, you know what I mean? And so we need to present all these options because there are always going to be women for who fertility awareness is the best option just as there's always going to be women who maybe the IUD is the best option. So we need to have all of our options on the table uh, so that we can make those decisions for ourselves. And, and women need to know that fertility awareness is a valid option if you are prepared and ready to learn it and just commit the time that it takes to use it correctly. Yeah, a hundred percent. I totally agree with that. I also think there is a rise in period tracking apps. Like there seems to be this, every time I talk to a new client, there's a new app that I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing. I'm just like, go to Kindara and start there kind of thing. That's my base. But in a sense, it's like, there's, there's so many out there. And I feel like there's maybe a bit of a misconception that we think that just tracking your period on a period tracker app is enough as well like I don't know that women always fully understand the whole picture of cervical mucus or of you know base body temperature or of these other things which you know your book goes into such great depth on but it's it's something that a lot of women go there oh I track my period so I sort of know what's going on without understanding the deeper layers of stuff as well Mm -hmm. I mean there's yeah it's it's so interesting because again, when I started this, there were literally no apps. Apps weren't even a yes. thing. So I'm dating myself. So there's hundreds, if not thousands of them now, which yeah. is, I just find it to be very interesting. And again, if you think about it with fertility awareness, it's not a medication, we can't patent it. And so how are we going to make money? Right? So Kendara was kind of the leader. Um, they were really big. I would say when I was first starting my podcast mm. years ago, because they were kind of one of the first specific to fertility awareness apps. Yeah. Whereas there's always been period tracker apps. Um, and so they made their wink. And so that yeah. was the first, like, well, I wouldn't say first, um, Daisy also has their $400, oh, yeah. Yeah. um, lady comp lady comp was like the $400 device. And then now there's the Daisy yeah. and, uh, but Kendara was kind of like that first, like trendy hundred dollars yeah. thermometer. And again, like, how do you make money when women can track their cycles? You have to kind of like, how do you make this into a business? And so this is why we see so many apps and so many devices and things like that, because uh, they're at the end of the day, right? People are trying to figure out how to capitalize on this, which isn't a problem. I'm just saying that we should know (laughs) what's happening. And so with that in mind though, um, I I think first and foremost, the period tracker apps, I think for, for many women, or if not most who use them, it's kind of like their first introduction to this, knowledge. Mm. So you're right. Obviously, if you're tracking your period, you're not tracking all the other stuff, but I think there's a lot of value in that. I remember having Mm. a client years ago and she came to me and she had tracked her period, but she tracked it for maybe like five years on a spreadsheet. And all she had was her period dates and, but it was five years of data. And in in her case, she actually ended up being diagnosed with PCOS, which is a whole thing because her cycles were super long and, but she was skinny. And so the doctors were like, well, no, you can't have, like, you can have, cause there's this whole medical nonsense of if you're, you if you're slightly overweight or whatever. So anyways, but it was like textbook, right? So, so, but she had five years of data and she was kind of apologetic, like, oh, I wasn't really tracking. And I'm like five years of period, like dot dates are really significant. This is, so I always say, you know, any type of information you have about your cycle is very useful, even if it's just that. And I think for many women, it's that introduction into it. 
And some women download these period tracker apps, right? All they want to do is track their period. And then they're like, yeah. what's this mucus stuff? What's this? Like, so, so I think for many, it actually then turns into like that curiosity of like, what is this all about? And that's how they learn it. So I think there's a lot of benefit in that sense as mm. kind of like a gateway drug, if you will, yes. to fertility awareness. Um, and of course, there are some things to just be aware of. One of the challenges then with these period tracker apps is that most of them do have these predictor settings. So it's telling you when your next mm. period is going to come. So then we get into the like, oh, my period's late this month or it's early this month without that knowledge that your period isn't actually late. <laughs> it's either you ovulated earlier or later. And that's, you know, what determines the length of your cycle. Um, I think the bigger challenge is that now there are devices obviously being advertised and marketed as birth control devices. And so it's like, um, you know, like all of the, the, the devices that are telling you that they can tell you when you're fertile, when you're not, and they'll give you like a green light on the days that they say are okay. And, um, a red light on the days that they say that they are not. And, uh, that's basically the rhythm method in a way, because mm -hmm. if you're using a calculation to identify when to predict the fertile days. And so I think that's one of the things to be aware of. So what I would say is that if you are actually super interested in fertility awareness and you really want to learn it, then learn it. Um, I would say it's important if you really do want to rely on it for birth control, it's like learning to drive a car. So it's like, if you had a car that had an automatic setting that could just drive you places, you still want to know how to drive. <laughs> yes. You like end up on that dirt road or whatever. Like you need to know how to yes. drive, even if you, yeah. So this is what I would say for the, for the apps. The best case scenario, if you don't want an unexpected pregnancy is to really take the time you need to learn it. And that means yeah. my suggestion is download an app that has the option to turn off the predictor settings. Not all of them have the option, but find an app that has the option of that. And even though it's nice to look at how it's predicting and <laughs> is it on time or whatever, what happens is it can throw you off because if it's telling you you're fertile today, but you're not seeing what you should be seeing or whatever, if it doesn't match up, it's a natural kind of reaction to think, oh, there's something mm -hmm. wrong with me. So I would, that would be my suggestion for those who are serious and wanting to learn it for birth control, learn how to do it. And then for women who have taken that time and they do know some of them do find it to be kind of fun to like see how many times the app is wrong. <laughs> um, and so they keep the setting on. I've heard this, right? And yeah. they're like, oh, let's see how close it is this time. But that's a different mindset than trusting it to, to know because it doesn't know what's in your panties today. FYI. Do you have any recommendations of apps for those starting out? Your couple favorite or any favorites? Um, I mean, so Kendara is great. I used to recommend it all the time. Um, read your body has become a lot more popular because it's, uh, really customizable to be honest with you. I don't keep a list of all these apps because <laughs> there's so many and every day there's a new one, yeah. but generally speaking, I would just say, find an app that, um, allows you to turn off the predictor set. <laughs> like that's like literally yeah. like that's the hill I'll die on. And gives um, you yeah. room to track more stuff. Cause I found, I think maybe one of the first ones I went on, I was like jumped on it. This would have been before your podcast. And was sort of like looking around at stuff went, Oh, I don't know. And then when I came across Kindara, I was like, wow, there's so many things I can track and I can track my bowel movements, which for me is great with work. And for my clients, we like track your bowel movements, track your energy, track your hunger, track your, all these things. And then to see them 
correlate over with their cycles. People all of a sudden, they give me so much more data as a practitioner, but also about their body. And they're like, I didn't realize I was just having loose stools around my period. Or I was just constipated around ovulation. And I'm like, yes, we can start to make connections and draw data and do all those things. Because I mean, there's other apps to track that as well. But I think there's something really special about understanding both those elements as well, rather than just, you know, just your period or just your gut or just your energy as well. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's really good to have something that allows you to track whatever you want. So like highly customizable. And I mean, for those dinosaurs like myself who like paper charting, you know, ironically, I didn't think that many women would. And I would say it's, you know, 10 to 20 percent of my clients, but it's still 10 to 20 percent of my clients who track on paper. So, I mean, I made my fertility awareness mastery charting workbook for the for the dinosaurs like myself who like to track on paper because I've done different apps and uh, I just always go back to paper. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Well, yes. For those listening, get the book, get the charting book if you want to do it on pen and paper. No pressure. I totally get that most people don't do it. I literally made it for like that small percent because I really thought, so just as a side note, you know, because I thought because I had started on the paper, right? And I kind of thought, okay, well, now that there's all these apps, yeah. No one will want to chart on paper at all, but there's always, like, there's still few, there's, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, and also, yeah, the book's amazing for anyone listening who's like, I want to learn more or I need, you know, a starting point or this is all new to me. If you're listening, go, this is new. I didn't know about all this stuff. Definitely um, grab a copy of the book and head over to Lisa's Instagram as well, Fertility Friday, because there's always fun stuff on there, but probably the easiest spot to start is the podcast I would say for a lot of people it's got so much free content if you like I just want to dip my toe in the water and go what is this whole fertility Friday thing search search for podcast episodes and have a look because there's so much out there you're so nice I didn't have to say it say <laughs> that's awesome but no oh, thank I'm you just... thank you for that that's really sweet yeah it's it, I think that it's at the point that it can be a little bit overwhelming because yeah. now I've I'm working on releasing episode 407 um, yes. this, <laughs> this week. So that means there's 407 episodes. Uh, so on my website, I, I, it's not the, it's not the greatest possible thing in the world, but I do have, if you go to fertilityfriday.com slash fertility awareness, there are kind of like a few handpicked episodes that can be useful for the fertility awareness, um, intro, which can be a little overwhelming than seeing 400. Yeah. Podcasts. And also I find like, if I want to nerd out on a topic, right. Often I'll go to say your podcast and I'll just put in the search bar and it'll be like, you know, if it's something on progesterone or it's something on, you know, missing periods, or if you think you've got PCOS or something, 90% of the time you will have it in the title. So people do that. Go to, I listen on Castbox, but everyone listens on different places, but hit search and have a look as well, because there's always like, there's so, like you said, there's over 400 episodes now, which is just, insane like that's a lot of words coming out of your mouth but also yeah for someone starting off we go flip I don't even know where to start do I start with the real clients do I start with this do I start with that definitely hit the search bar and have a look um but yes also the book so thank you Lisa for jumping on today and sharing all that with us for your rants I love them they're amazing Yes. Well, thank you for, I mean, I don't, I don't ever plan obviously what I'm going to say, but I mean, I think just some of the questions brought out some of those things, but it's interesting as the landscape kind of changes and stays Mm. the same in many ways, 
And I just think that it's, it's time for us to just think about some of these things. If anything, I try to invoke thought (laughs) Uh, because these are all things maybe you that have crossed your mind before, but you never actually thought about because this is what I do all day, all the time. Uh, I've had a lot of time to think about some of these things and it's interesting to share those ideas. So anyway, thank you for uh, letting me do that. And uh, this was great. This was a fun conversation. Thank you. Pleasure. And I will link all Lisa's stuff into the show notes, of course, um, so that you can all find her very easily. But otherwise, Fertility Friday are the two words you need to know and head over and find Lisa. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Empowered Hormone Podcast. If you know a female who needs some empowerment, please forward, repost, tag or share and let's get women talking. Thank you.